0: again we're back in the book of Genesis and last week we talked about the fall of Adam and Eve and its effect upon mankind and I explained the concept of original sin. Now original sin is one of those terms that most people don't understand. They think they do but they don't because they think that the words mean exactly what it says and you know in any field Of expertise, they kind of coin their own language and when they do that, unless you're in that field of expertise, then you don't know what that term means. And so when we hear original sin, we think of the original sin in which Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden tree, right? The forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that is not what original sin is. Original sin refers to the spiritual condition of man as a result of Adam and Eve's sin. In other words, it's the effect that Adam's sin had upon all of us. We were born spiritually dead. We were born with the Adamic nature. We were born with this propensity to sin. We were conceived in sin. And that's what original sin is all about that sin nature that we have now tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look to see how sin has affected the entire world because sin didn't just affect man sin also affected the earth it affected our entire world so turn with me if you would to the book of Romans the eighth chapter verse number 20 and let's see how Adam and Eve's sin affected the world says for the creature was made subject to vanity Now, I'm using the King James Version because I believe that it's the best translation. And I'm going to explain a lot about this verse, which tells you a lot about what I think of the majority of translations. Especially when it comes to this verse. I want you to notice it says, for the creature. That word creature is the Greek word ketisis, and it actually refers to creation. It's talking about our world or everything that God has created. So, if you would, in your Bible, just cross out the phrase, the creature. And right above it, creation. For creation was made subject to vanity. Not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Now, of course, a lot of people interpret this. But I want you to understand, if you translate it just the way that it says, when it says, by him, it's referring to Adam. And if you notice, it says, Adam, who subjected the same in hope. You see, when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, they were hoping that it would make them wise. They were hoping that it would make them like gods. Look with me, if you would, in the book of Genesis chapter 3. I want to read verses 4 through 6. And this is not going to be coming up on the screens. Don't freak out in the back. It's not in your slides. It's just something as... I was going through after I'd already told them what slides to make that decide decided I'm going to read that But I want you to notice what it says in Genesis chapter 3 verses 4 through 6 And the serpent said unto the woman You shall not surely die For God knows that in the day that you eat thereof Your eyes will be opened And you shall be as gods Little g there Wow Knowing good and evil and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it's edible, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, ooh, it looks good, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. But what they did when they ate of that forbidden fruit is they subjected all of creation to vanity. Vanity. Now, what does it mean that he subjected the earth or the creation to vanity? Well, underline that word vanity. Vanity is translated from the Greek word matayates. It literally means perverted. Now, of course, because of the society that we live in, whenever we hear the word perverted or pervert, we automatically think of sex, right? So what does perverted mean? Well, what, What does that mean? Well, basically, the word perverted means to deviate from what is normal. So when Adam and Eve sinned, the whole world became perverted. In essence, when Adam and Eve sinned, it caused the whole world to deviate from what it was originally intended to be. From what was normal. In other words, the world we live in is not the world that God created for us to live in. Let me give you some examples of how the earth became, or the world became perverted. How it deviated from what it was supposed to be, from what was normal. First of all, animals became carnivorous. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Let me read verse number 30. Here we see, before Adam and Eve have even been created, we notice what God's original intent was for all of the animals. Notice what it says. And to every, every, every beast of the earth, and to every, every, every fowl of the air, And to every, 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 you seen that? Thing that creeps upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat. And that word for meat means for food. And it was so. Now I want you to notice. What were the beasts? What were the birds? What were the, the animals that crawled around on the ground? What were they supposed to eat? Plants. They were not carnivorous Now I want you to notice what Isaiah chapter 11 verses 6 through 9 says. This is a prophecy concerning the millennium. When Jesus Christ returns and he sets his kingdom up upon the earth, notice what it says is going to happen. This is Isaiah again chapter 11 verses 6 through 9. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the kid. In other words, the the, the sheep or the goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Your little toddler will be able to go out there and he'll be able to lie down with the leopard and play around with the lion. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. And actually what it means, will graze together. They're going to graze. They're going to eat grass. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters covered the sea. So originally. The animals did not prey on each other. They didn't eat each other. So we see that that became. Or that deviated from God's plan when Adam and Eve sinned. Secondly. Thorns, weeds, and thistles came into existence. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Let's read verses 17 through 18. And then to Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Now, the implication of this verse is that there never would have been thorns, thistles, or weeds had Adam and Eve not sinned. In other words, now you're going to have to work twice as hard. It's like when you go out and you plant your garden. And as all these things start coming up. But these weeds also come up. And The reason that you want to weed them is because they grow faster. And because they grow faster, their roots go down deeper and they will steal all of the nutrients. They'll take all of the water and it will literally choke out the plants that you planted. So what do you do? You have to go out there and weed. Originally, when God came in and he planted Adam and Eve in the garden, it didn't mean that they wouldn't work. They were still going to have to work. But they wouldn't have to work as hard because in God's original world, before sin entered into the world, you didn't have... These type of things. You didn't have the thorns, the thistles, the weeds. And last but not least, sickness, disease, and death came into the world. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 27. And it it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. Now, I kind of like this because the Bible talks about a second death. Now, I want you to notice It says, but it is appointed unto men to die how many times? Once. God never intended for people to go to hell. God never intended for people to be thrown into the lake of fire. Those who are thrown into the lake of fire are now partaking of what is known as the second death. But I want you to notice here, because of what Adam and Eve did, death entered into the world. And so now it's appointed to men to to die how many times? Once. Everyone's going to have to die with a few exceptions. And what are those exceptions? Well, we know that Enoch walked with God and then he was taken. We know about Elijah. What about the ones who are going to be here when the rapture takes place? If they're believers, they're not going to have to die, and Jesus told us that. So there are some exceptions, but if you're not part of the exceptions, the interesting thing about it is it's appointed unto all men to die one time. But God never intended for people to die more than once. If you do that, that's your own fault. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 57, talking about death entering into the world. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, I guess I should kind of talk about this as we go. He says, we shall not all sleep. That's a euphemism. When you see this word sleep, it's talking about death. Now, does everyone know what a euphemism is? A euphemism is a nicer way of saying something that's what we think is socially unacceptable. We don't say that so-and-so died. We say that so-and-so passed away. We don't say so-and-so had sex. We say they slept together. Those are euphemisms. So in the Bible many times it talk about people sleeping. And the reason that death is likened unto sleep is because when we sleep physically, what happens? Our body rests, but our mind still goes. We dream. It's still active. And so death is kind of like sleeping. What takes place is your body goes into the ground and it begins to deteriorate, but your soul is eternal. And so your soul will either go to heaven to be with Jesus Christ or will go to hell. And so you're still able to, to, to think, you're still able to feel, to touch, to taste, to do all of the things. The only problem is you don't have a body yet. But one day, all of the bodies are going to be resurrected, not just of the just, but also of the unjust. Their bodies are going to be resurrected and rejoined with their soul or their spirit also. So Paul is talking about this, but he's talking about Christians here. So let's go ahead and read this. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. Now he's talking about Christians here. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, here's what's interesting. He says, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Their bodies are going to be resurrected. But those that are alive shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Now, notice what this says. The sting of death is sin. In other words, the cause of death is, is sin. Had Adam and Eve never sinned, death would have never entered into the world. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, now the world is subjected to vanity. It is now now perverted, and it's deviated from what is normal, what God originally intended the earth to be. And all of these things that are now in the world are the result of what Adam and Eve have done. And that's the bottom line. When Adam and Eve sinned, the world deviated from what God intended it to be. And all of this sickness, disease, rebellion, crime, greed, abuse, drought, storms, they were never a part of God's plan. They are the result of the world being perverted by sin. So as a result, while we're living here on this earth, we experience pain, we experience hardship, we experience difficult times. And who gets the blame for all of this? Let's be honest. In our society as a whole, who gets the blame for hurricanes? Who gets the blame for death? Who gets the blame for all the suffering we go through and all the pain and all the hardships? Be honest. God does. God gets the blame. And and, and you've got Calvinists that are perpetuating this heresy. And that's what it is. It's heresy. Now, I had a person come up to me the other day and they made the comment that, you know, I don't know why you hate Southern Baptist. It just blew me away. I don't hate Southern Baptists. Where did you hear that? Well, you were teaching blah, 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 blah. And I was no, 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 no. I love everyone. I, I love Southern Baptists. Me and Lisa, were, we were raised Southern Baptist. Man, the gospel was placed inside of me because of that. I was saved in a Southern Baptist church. The one thing I don't like is Calvinism. Now, if there are Southern Baptists or there's Presbyterians or there's any other denominations that are Calvinistic, the Reformed Church, the Lutheran Church, those types, they will go, why do you? I, I, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I don't hate those denominations. What I don't like is Calvinism because Calvinism teaches that nothing happens that's not God's will. Someone gets raped. We don't know why God did that. But there's got to be a purpose. A child dies, two years old, the parents are just heartbroken. The pastor gets up to preach the funeral. What does he say? We don't know why God took them. But there's a reason for it. We just don't know what that reason is. One day we're going to find out. Well, people, I've got news for you. God didn't do that. God doesn't bring the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the difficult times that come. God is not at fault. People, it was Adam and Eve's fault. Had Adam and Eve never sinned, the world never would have become perverted. The world never would have deviated from what God intended to be normal, which is no death, no suffering, none of these things that we see. But all of those things are a result of Adam and Eve. So when you hear me get excited about correcting the errors of Calvinism, that's the best way to say it. How's that? It's because I think it's blasphemy to blame God for things that the devil does. I think it's blasphemy to blame God for the results of sin. God does not sin. God does not tempt us to sin. The Bible is so clear on that. Jesus said... That the thief cometh to kill, to steal, and to destroy. I come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. Jesus made it as clear as possible. The thief does these things. God does these things. They are totally different. But what's interesting is Adam and Eve is the one that caused all of this. But God is the one that gets blamed. Look back at Romans chapter 8 verse number 20. This is as clear as can be. For the creature, Greek word Ketisis, which means creation. So for creation was made subject to vanity. What does vanity mean? Perversion. It's deviated from what is normal, what God intended. Not willingly, but by reason of him. Who is him? Adam, who hath subjected the same in hope. What was his hope? If we eat of this fruit that God doesn't want us to, we will be made wise. We will be made as gods. Therefore, they ate the fruit. But people, I want you to understand something. It isn't and wasn't God's fault. Now, the great thing is there's coming a time when this world is going to be restored back to its original state. Back to what God originally intended the earth to be. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, verse number 10. Now, this verse sounds religious. Be honest with you, if you're reading through the book of of Ephesians, you just kind of gloss over it and you go, you know, that's just religiosity. It's a bunch of religious words. No, 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 no. Listen to me. There is a lot of meat packed into this one verse. And tonight, we're going to pull that meat out. Is that all right? Notice what it says. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he, that's God, will gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are on heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Now, doesn't that just sound religious? But let me tell you, it's not. It is a fantastic verse. So let's tear this apart. I want you to underline the word dispensation because you need to understand what a dispensation is. The word dispensation is translated from the Greek word... oikon oikon amia, which literally means house rules. It's a compound word. It's made up of two words. It's made up of of the word oikos and namas. Oikos means house and namas means law. When you combine these two words together, it literally means house law. But we don't say it that way. What would we say it? Or how would we say it? We would say house rules. So literally what this means is house rules. So technically... A dispensation refers to the way God rules over mankind during certain periods of history. Now, listen to me because this is very important. God has dealt with man differently at different time periods. In other words, God has changed the rules from time to time based on certain factors. That's right, you heard me say that. I'm going to put it on TV. I'm going to put it on the DVD so you can hear it. Listen to me. God has changed the rules from time to time based on certain factors. Now, people, this isn't wrong. In fact, this is good, and it's, and it's fair. You see, we do the very same thing with our kids. The house rules change as our kids go through different stages as they go from babies to preschoolers to children to middle school to high school to college to adults, we change the way that we parent our children. We have different rules for different ages. Preschoolers cannot cross the road by themselves. In fact, we don't even allow our preschoolers to play close to the road. They're not even supposed to be in the front yard if mom and dad's not with them. Right? Right? But something would be wrong if your high schooler cannot cross the road by themselves. By that time, they ought to be driving. See, you see, there's different rules for different ages. So in a sense, we have different dispensations with our children. There's the pre-potty trained dispensation. When it's okay for your baby to poop. In their pants. It's okay for them to reach at the food. You don't slap them in the face when they take the food. You keep the food away from them. Because if they ever touch that food, where's it going? In their hair and on their face. And you got to give them a bath. Now, you don't come in and say, here are the rules. I know you can't talk, but don't you dare poop in your pants. If you have to poop, you grunt and I'll know. Now, you don't do that, do you? You don't say, here's the rules, you can't touch the food. No, 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 no. You see, that is that pre-potty trained dispensation. And then you get them potty trained and the rules change. Now you look at, what are you doing? Do you need to go potty? You don't do that. You go to the bathroom. You do that. Why? Because you've changed the rules. Certain factors have changed, so you change the house rules. And then they have to go to school. And, and, and even their school, you have to be in the house before it gets dark. And you can only play here or in Billy's backyard. I, I, you know, when I was growing up, third and fourth grade, we went downtown. We went all over. You know, it's like mom, dad, we're going downtown. We would go to the, the union. We rode our bikes all over town. You can't do that today, I guess. But, you know, we did that growing up. But you better be home by dinner time. Then you went out to play and you need to be in when it gets dark. But that dispensation changed when I turned 16, had my car, you know, now all of a sudden the rules are changing again. We're changing those dispensations based on certain factors. You know, I tell you the hardest thing for me was to send our kids to college. And, you know, they had a midnight curfew in high school and they go to college and now they're out on their own. They come home and because they could stay out all night in college, now they think they can do that in my home. Well, when you're in my home, that's really hard on me because now they want to come in at 4 o'clock in the morning because they did that at college. Yeah, but dad still feels like he has to stay up. And so now I'm not comfortable with the new dispensation. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Parents of college kids? Oh, yeah! You see... The dispensation changed. The house rules changed. So we need to understand that God is the same way. His house rules have changed as revelation of him has increased. The more he revealed of himself, the more he holds us accountable. We're held to a higher standard than those who didn't have all of the word of God. We know that polygamy is not right today. You can go back and point to the Old Testament, but Jesus Christ has revealed this. We go into the New Testament, we're able to read what the Scriptures say, and we understand that from the beginning it was not so. God created one woman for one man. Now, there was a time, and we'll talk about this at the end of Genesis when we look at the genealogies because that has much to teach us. But we'll find out when polygamy came into being. And how it was introduced into this world. And, and listen, that was a perversion. That was a, a time that it deviated from what God intended it to be. But there was a dispensation when David, a man after God's own heart, had eight wives. And we won't even talk about Solomon. So let me give you the five previous dispensations. From Adam to the fall. In other words, before the fall, you had the dispensation of innocence. Adam and didn't even know what sin was. They were both naked and not ashamed. They didn't have a perverted thought in their mind. Adam didn't go, Ooh, man, could you put some stockings on? You know, he didn't do that. You know, completely innocent. Completely pure. But as soon as he sins, his eyes are open. All right. But now, all of a sudden, there's these thoughts that are perverted in his mind. All of these things are bombarding him. And so now we have a different dispensation. From the fall to Noah, we have the dispensation of conscience. You know, ooh, that wasn't right. And from Noah to Moses, we have the dispensation of promise. God starts making some promises. And then from Moses to Jesus Christ, we have the dispensation of law. God gives the Torah, gives the prophets, and so now these are the things that you're to live by. Then Jesus Christ comes. And from Jesus Christ to the millennium, We have the dispensation of grace We're under grace At this point Now listen to me This might come as a shock to you There are more dispensations to come Oh yeah Now when we're changed The scripture says we will know Even as we are known Now remember As factors change God deals differently with us Right? So we still have dispensations to come which brings us back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 10. Let's look back at that verse again. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, God will gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Now, I want you to notice that the dispensation of the fullness of times, God is going to gather together in one all things in Christ. Now, what is the dispensation of the fullness of times? Because this is telling us when God is going to do this. So, when is the dispensation of the fullness of times? Well, let's just look at the Greek. The word fullness is translated from the Greek word pleroma, which means complete. So, this is talking about the end of time. When time is complete, when history is played out. So, the dispensation of the fullness of times, the completion of time, is the end time. It's the final dispensation on this earth. Now, did you hear what I said? It is not the final dispensation. It is the final dispensation when? On this earth. So the dispensation of the fullness of time is the completion of time referring to man's time schedule. It's the dispensation of the fullness of the completion of time on this earth. At that time, at that dispensation... God is going to gather together in one all things in Christ. That's exactly what Ephesians 1:10 says. Let's read it again. that in the dispensation of fullness of times, in other words, in the end time, during the millennium, that's the last dispensation on this earth. So during the millennium, God will gather together in one all things in Christ. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's tear that apart and find out. Notice that one big, huge phrase. Together, together in one. That whole phrase comes from one Greek compound word. It comes from the Greek compound word, anakef ala iamahi. Anakef ala iamahi is made up of two words. It's made up of the root word, "kef alayan." which means to bring back and gather around the center point. Now, what this word is implying is that things have been scattered and you want to gather them up and bring them back to the center. Now, what was supposed to be the center of the universe? Let's get spiritual. That's a hint. What was supposed to be the center of our universe? God. God. Before sin entered the picture, God was the center of our universe. Everything revolved around God and God's will before the fall. So at the last dispensation on this earth, the millennium, the world is going to be brought back into a correct relationship with God. Everything will revolve around God and he is going to be the center of everything. Speaking figuratively. But that's not all. Remember that this is a compound word and I've only told you what one word means. There is a prefix that's added to this word and that prefix is the Greek word ana which means again. Now, the word again implies that this is the second time not the first time that this has happened, right? If I say let's go to town again what does that mean? It means I've already gone to town once. Now, if I say, let's go to town again, and you look at me and you go, again? We didn't go to town today. What what are you talking about? Oh, I mean, let's go to town. See, if I say, let's go to town again, it means I've already been to town. Let's go back. Does that make sense? In other words, what this is telling us is that there was a time in the past when everything revolved around God. There was a time in the past when everything revolved around God and God's will. And when was that? When was everything in a right relationship with God? Where everything revolved around God? In the Garden of Eden. Before the fall. Now I want you to notice what Paul is saying. He's saying that the dispensation of the fullness of time. In other words, at the end of time on this earth. During this period known as the millennium, everything is going to be returned to the way it was before the fall. It's going to be just like it was before Adam and Eve sinned. Now, when I understand what Ephesians chapter 1 verse number 10 is saying, when I can truly grasp that, all of a sudden, all of these other scriptures in the Bible begin to make sense. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23, and I'll give you some examples. It says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from the sin and the suffering. We too are waiting with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights As his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Now, I want you to understand, ever since Adam and Eve had sinned, there have been three different types of groaning in this world. The creation groans. Because it is not the way God intended it to be. Animals prey on each other. We've got all of these weeds and thistles and thorns. There's disease. There's corruption. There's horrible things that is happening. And this earth is actually groaning to be released from that. Then we have the groaning of us. Don't we want the suffering to stop? Wouldn't we like for people not to get cancer? No one to be raped? Women not to be uh, drugged into human slavery and forced to prostitute themselves. Wouldn't we love to see a perfect world? So we groan. What's the third groaning? Who else groans? The Holy Spirit groans. The Holy Spirit makes groanings. He's waiting for this to take place too, but I won't go into this, but when when, when I teach on the gift of tongues, we find out. That the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groanings which cannot be uttered, and explain about that a little bit later sometime. But there's that groaning also, all because of what Adam and Eve have done. But there's going to come a time, according to Ephesians chapter one, verse number 10, at that final dispensation, at the dispensation of the fullness of time, that God is going to gather all things together revolve it around him like it was in Christ Jesus. Things on earth and in heaven, everything's going to be taken back to the way it was before the fall. Knowing that, look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 4 through 9. Read this again. He will give justice to the poor to make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of the cobra. Yes, the little child will put its hand in the dust of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Wow. During that final dispensation, we're going to get a little taste of what? Not a little taste. We're going to know what it was like before the fall. We're going to get to live on this earth the way that God intended it to be. Now, that's not the final dispensation, but that's the final dispensation of the end of time for this earth. And after the millennium, boom, the great white throne judgment, this heaven and this earth is destroyed. And then a new heaven and a new earth are created and we go into the eighth cosmic week. But that's a whole other lesson is what we taught in the book of Revelation.